Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 171. Nope, I have that backwards. Episode 171 for Tuesday, June 26, 2018. folks and welcome back to gig gab the podcast by foreign about working musicians sponsors for this episode include simple contacts where we'll tell you how to get 30 bucks off your first order from this pretty cool service but here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton here in los gatos california paul kent oh you got loud there for a second paul kent but i can fix that i'm, I'm boisterous today you are how you doing other than being boisterous I'm doing good, man. We're kind of, we hit the ground running. You know, I'm doing four or five gigs a week now and oh, I'm loving it. And it's, good. it's cool. You got a lot of stuff going on. I, I did, I, before we get going, I did want to compliment you that, you know, your pinball wizard is a pretty damn good pinball wizard, brother. It's, it's, you know, it's a song I would never have picked to sing. It was one that was handed to me by, uh, by Russ and Fling, but, but it was handed to me after he, you know, after we knew each other for a while and, and, uh, and he was right that, that, yeah, it fits my, fits my voice perfectly. So it's, and it's well, fun. You know, I think of that and one of the first songs you and I ever played together, uh, that you would come out from behind the drum set, that U2 song, I Will Follow. And these songs seem to get you to emote in a very natural way. And it's really, really fun for me to watch you because, you know, most of my perception of you is what you're doing behind a kit. When you come out front, it's always so fun for me to see that side of your performance chops because, and those two in particular, like, you, like you never sing anything, anything poorly. That's not my point. My point sure. is more, yeah, yeah. these songs seem to get your mojo going and it's really fun for me to watch. Uh, that's good. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, I will cross the backline meridian <laughs> and come to the front of the stage. <laughs> um, Thou shalt not pass. <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you, you know, it's funny you mentioned you two. I I went and saw them on Friday night, and I hadn't seen you two in twenty years, maybe more than twenty years. Uh, the last time I saw them was down in San Antonio. Lisa and I went and saw them, and. Uh, they were, I don't know if they were good or bad, to be perfectly honest with you, because the sound was just horrible, yeah. you know. But and, the sh this isn't, isn't this like of of all the many techno wizardry shows, isn't this one like almost over the top, the amount of technology that's layered into this, the staging and lights so and all that stuff? So that's the thing, right? Like they, U2 has always been a band that, that uses technology, you know, and and evolves along with tech, Right. But um, so 20 years ago, I saw him and the sound was bad. And both Lisa and I walked out of there and we're like, OK, well, we don't need to go see this band again. You know, that's fine. And and then, you know, the past couple of years, you know, we've heard some friends going to tours and stuff. And I'm like, uh, you know, are we missing something here? Should we? OK, let's try it again. So we bought tickets and we went. And, and for anybody that hasn't seen videos or pictures of how U2 is doing what U2 is doing this this tour, the the stage layout is uh, on the surface. It looks like, uh, you know, main stage at the end, big, long catwalk that runs the entire length of the arena or the entire length of the floor of the arena, I should say. And then what looks to be a little sort of satellite stage um, at the kind of the back of the floor. What actually happens is that uh, many things that catwalk exists, but 
they have built a dual sided video screen that runs that is the entire length of the catwalk. And it moves up and down and can either be all the way down or all the way, you know, kind of all the way up or or anywhere in the middle. And and things can be inside it. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody that's going to see the show. But um, but but, you know, things and even people can be inside this thing. And and it it in and of itself is a technological marvel. Like I still haven't gone and researched what exactly it's made of because it can display, you know, what you or I would call HD video. Right. When it's black, it's it's a almost see through mesh, and and you can see the other side of the arena through it. it it's really I, I don't know. It's pretty amazing. So yes, that's to- that thing is totally over the top. But other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, the tech for the show was uh, appeared to be very minimal, and 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 it's sort of hard to say that when there's this like this huge big. It's not it's not an elephant, but it's a big screen in the room. But but really, the entire show was focused on these four guys playing rock songs uh, on stage, and 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 the cool part was that there was no main stage. Uh, they used both stages at either end of the floor pretty much equally, and. Um, and then they used the catwalk a lot and there was, and, and they, you know, and they had a set of drums that they would put on the little stage, you know, at the other end of the floor where they did, um, you know, kind of, I mean, they, you know, they, they think about their rock show like a lot of people think about theater shows. It, it's not a theater show. It's a rock show, but they are very, they're very intentional about the vibe that they create and all of that stuff. I mean, it, it, you know, it's who they are, but there was one moment where Larry was on, uh, drum kit at the on what I'll call the main stage. Bono was singing from the the alternate stage, and then Edge and and Adam Clayton were on opposite sides of the floor. So oh, so the four of them were surrounding the floor. But but again, the light other than this crazy screen, the light show was really quite minimal. I mean, it, they were well lit. You could see them and you could hear them really well. But um, but it wasn't like there were lasers or anything like that. There was just this crazy screen. But even the screen wasn't distracting from the fact that there was a rock band playing rock songs. And and Bono's voice was the best I've ever heard it, as good as it's ever been, perhaps even better. And what really blew me away was the Edge's voice. I had no idea how well that guy could sing. Um, the harmonies he was doing with Bono were great. You know, everything was, it was just spectacular. Uh, well, that, so think about a couple, deconstruct a couple of yeah, those things. So sure. Yeah. Think about, think about playing music, even with the best in-ear mix you could possibly have. Yep. And having your bandmates be a couple of hundred yards away from you. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ab- well, where did they rehearse that? I, that's interesting. You wonder if they rehearsed it in one room, but all facing away from each other. Right. Right. And and I've got, I actually have a related story to that, but we can, but let's stick with the U2 thing and we'll come, we'll circle back to that. But, um, but you know, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, and the sound, I, I, I mean, I know why other bands don't do this because it's remarkably difficult to do, but they had no speakers uh, like on the the end stage facing the the room, every speaker was in the middle of the arena facing out. Mm. And and what was really cool, and it took me a while. It was a very nuanced thing, uh, but it definitely was happening. The soundboard 
uh, and the light board were actually up in the loge sections. There was no mixing happening from the floor. Uh, but what was interesting is no matter where any given player was, a little bit more of their sound came from that location than from everywhere else. I mean, you could even if Bono was, you know, far away or whatever, you'd still hear the vocals. You'd still hear still hear the guitar. But, you know, if you if if, if the edge was house right, more of his sound seemed to come from house right than than anywhere else. It was really quite interesting. And my guess is that the entire room was and the speaker system was tuned so that f- no matter where you were sitting, you, you, you were got, getting the you got stage correct spacing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The spatial correct. Yeah, exactly. So, amazing I mean, really exercise amazing. in sound design. right? Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of expect that from you, too. You the other point I was yeah. the other point I was going to make is. You know, remember when stadium shows started? Like I know out here in the 70s, we had these days on the green. Bill Graham would produce these, you know, the biggest bands and you'd get four or five of them on a bill and you'd be sure. outside in the sun all day. And, and then, you know, it was about when how bands arena shows would translate to stadiums. And I remember when Bruce, you know, did the Born in the USA tour, it was a whole question about this intimate experience that he would have even in an arena size, how right. would it translate to 60,000 people? And, you know, that, that was an interesting exercise. Question. Yeah, there, right. Right. But now it seems like, and I can only imagine the overhead. I know Taylor Swift came through town not too long ago and she had this huge, amazing set. You know, it's, it's gotta be hundreds of thousand dollars per show. Oh, for sure. To transport, set up, operate, tear down. I mean, yeah. it's so the overhead, but I, I guess that's the thing is when you're charging, you know, two, three hundred bucks in a place where you're going to share the experience with 60,000 people. What's going to justify that two, three hundred buck ticket? What would you pay for you too? Uh, I think we, we were in what I would call like in a, in a normal arena show. We were in lower loge seats directly across from the, the main stage, which turned out to be great because, you know, they were right in front of us for, you know, half the show. Uh, cool. Yeah, which is great. And I think we paid. I think it was about 300 bucks for both seats. You know, I mean, I bought them from Ticketmaster. I didn't buy them, you know, from from StubHub or anything. But yeah, face value was yeah, 150, 160 bucks a ticket, I think. So, yeah. which I, I which is terrible for me to sit here and say, you know, it's not that bad. Because for a really long time, concerts were like, you know, $24 or $12 yeah. or even eight fifty, right? But, you know, this times change. Uh, I, you know, I was telling my kids, I said, you know, when I was because like my kids and I'm sure your kids sort of dealt with the same thing. Like my kids can't do what I did where, you know, every summer I was going to, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 concerts. And I was paying for my tickets, you know, they were 1250. And I, I joked with my kids. I said, well, you know, it's like, I, I I used to look at a concert ticket as worth like three hours of work, right? You know, I, I worked for like four, five, six bucks an hour. And it was like, okay, three hours of work, I can go to a concert. The problem <laughs> is it's still that way. It's just that my hourly rate's gone up. And so has the tickets on the shows. So, you know, I don't know. Actually, U2 was cheap in that regard because some shows. Yeah, are, which are is way surprising because they, they yeah. used to push the boundaries of expensive, right? They did. Yeah. You know, and, and I, Lisa... <sighs> I'm going to sound like a jerk, but Lisa and I, are, <laughs> we, we go to a lot of concerts, right? And so when we go to see a band that will attract the, the, the folks that only go to say one concert a year or something, right? Or maybe one concert every three years, we always sort of walk into the venue like, all right, well, we got to deal with the amateurs, right? 
And, and, and U2 certainly is that way, right? I mean, I have a lot of friends that are like, oh, yeah, U2's touring. I'm going to go to a concert. It's like, okay, cool. Like, that's great. You know, it's, it's, like, it's great. But it kind of sucks when you're dealing with, you know, people that aren't quite sure of the flow of things for bathroom lines and, and, and that sort of thing. So you just deal. Kind of sound like a jerk, Dave. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely sound like a jerk. I, I know this. But here's the thing. I, I, I've, and, and a lot of times you wind up with people that drink way too much and then they're just belligerent. And and that's the thing that I really worry about with the sort of, you know, quote unquote, amateur concert crowd. Yeah. And and there were certainly people that had uh, more to drink on. Uh, and this was a Friday night show, but, you know, more to drink than they normally would or whatever. And but you two and, and I mean, it comes from Bono as their front man. He really sort of throughout the he has the cadence of a preacher. Right. You, you know, mm. for sure. For sure. And, and and his his overall message throughout the show, I mean, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly, is we all need to get along. Like, you know, he talked about, you know, people on the left and the right need to get along. Men and women need to get along, all this stuff. And what it really did was it translated to everybody in the crowd. I mean, this this couple next to us, these two were fighting and this guy was a class A jackass. Right. I mean, we heard him before the show. And we're like, oh, no. But. Anytime this guy had to cross in front of us because we were between him and the, you know, the aisle. And so you have to get up or, you know, you move out of the way. Everybody stood for the show. Thank goodness. But, um, it, you know, we had to get out of the way, which is fine. It's how it works. Every time he was like, oh, thank you so much. Pardon me. Excuse me. Like he was the most polite guy in the world. I was like, oh, look at that. And everybody <laughs> was that way. So like the, the band definitely, you know, the, their message kept that place safe. And there were way too many people on the floor. Like the floor was unsafely packed from, mm. from our vantage point, but it never, it, from what we could tell, it never turned into a problem. So, which was good. You know, it was, we were, we were, like I said, all around pleasantly surprised by the, by the experience. I, I always think that those things are an exercise in the odds because yep. they'll pack them and, and nobody knows what the magic number is or, you know, what the magic amount of booze is and yep. whether those two dots are connected. But all it takes is one very bad thing to happen. And then the whole house of cards kind of falls in. Right. It's totally true. Right. Yeah. And and it definitely was packed to that capacity where if things went sideways, it was going to go really sideways. You know, I wonder if they're if they're watching alcohol sales. And whether there is like a, a barometer of like, oop, these people are drinking a lot, you know, <laughs> like we, we got to watch this pretty better carefully. Ratchet it back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I bet. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I'm sure. Well, cool. I'm sure well, was, yeah. So good stories, man. Yeah. Yeah. So y- you asked about rehearsing uh, and how you two would rehearse for this. And I said, without, without seeing each other, that has been my experience. We started Tommy rehearsals. And when I took this gig, I asked specifically, I said, Hey, uh, you know, is the band going to be able to see like the, the stage? And the answer was yes. What I didn't think to ask, because that is true. I can see the stage. And so I can see the people that I'm supporting <laughs> the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Right? What I didn't think to ask was, will the band members be able to see one another? And, mm. and as it turns out, the answer is no. Um, the keyboard player who is who is the music director and I are on the ground floor. And then the rest of the band, four pieces, two guitars, bass and drums. I think two guitars. Uh, we've had a problem with guitar players. They've been disappearing like spinal tap drummers. Um, but uh, <laughs> we laugh, but um, they, the four of them. So two guitars, bass and then a horn player are 
above us, literally standing on a platform uh, underneath which we are set up. So and and the keyboard player and I were supposed to be able to see each other, but they couldn't fit. They built the stage in such a way that he can't fit where he was intended to fit. So he's actually behind me. So I'm literally playing this show blind in terms of my fellow musicians. I can hear them in my ears, but that's it. And it's really kind of weird and not entirely the most fun way to do something like this. Um, but you know, it's, I, I, I joked, but it's not really a joke. I feel like I'm in a, in a closet solving math problems on the drums and, you know, and then we get to the break and we all talk about the math problems we just solved together, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it is fun music to play because it's, it's Tommy. So I have, a, I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. I'm splitting the show with another drummer, which has been great during rehearsals because he's been there. And, and so we've been, and we get along really well. And so there's this sort of friendly competition between us. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll play an act and then he goes to play another act and, and he's like, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. You know, like, and, and it'll be like, man, I hope you make as many mistakes as I did because that wasn't great. You know, um, it's, it's very unnerving knowing that you have another drummer watching you and reading the same score that you're supposed to be playing because invariably, you know, you'd be like, Oh, I can't, I'm going to like fake this groove or whatever. And you're like, I know George knows that I'm faking the groove. He's the only one in the room that knows, but I, I know he knows. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So it's interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. So I got a couple of cool questions okay. that have come in, you know, hey, very, can I talk uh, about our yeah. sponsor before we do those Please cool do, questions? Man. All right, Please man. Do. Cool. Our first sponsor for this episode, as I mentioned at the beginning is simple contacts where at simple contacts.com slash gig gab, you save 30 bucks on your first order of contact lenses from these folks, right? And contact lenses are really important. You know, you, you, like you got to wear them so you can see on stage, assuming that your fellow musicians are within your, uh, your view, uh, as normally would happen, not necessarily like what's happening to me this week. But uh, here's the thing about simple contacts. You get to save the time and the big expense of a trip to the doctor. And you also get to save on the contacts themselves. Not not to mention the 30 bucks that, that we can save you with either simplecontacts.com slash giggab or coupon code giggab. And the reason is you use your phone or your computer to take a vision test to confirm that your contact prescription is working for you. So you put your contacts in, you take this vision test. It costs 20 bucks. It's reviewed by, uh, you know, a, a doctor, right? 20 bucks is way better than the 200 that you're going to spend at the eye doctor. And this test, it takes you like 10 minutes. So you don't have to like schedule an appointment and leave work or whatever. You know, you just do it at home and then you can order contacts and the prices. I did this with my wife. The prices are so much lower than what she was paying for the exact same lenses. It's really cool stuff. So you got to check it out. Go to simplecontacts.com slash gig gab, G-I-G-G-A-B. And or enter coupon code GIGGAB at checkout to save your 30 bucks. Now, it's important that I tell you the eye exam you do through them is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but it is enough to renew your prescription or confirm your prescription and get things rolling here is really what's happening. So check it out. Simplecontacts.com slash GIGGAB. Our thanks to Simple Contacts for sponsoring this thanks, episode. Thanks, Simple Contacts. Yeah. Yep. Good right. technology, good site, good service, good product. And tell them Paul and Dave sent you and he saves some money. There you go. 
All right. Here's an interesting question. We got it from Rob on Facebook and our Facebook page and our Facebook community is getting, you know, a lot of really good love coming on. Someone, Jonas just posted a really nice note saying that he's enjoying the show and it helped him get ready for his first gig, which was really nice. We're here to help everybody. So cool. But um, this question, yeah. yeah, that was a really, was nice to hear. And, yeah. you know, note to everybody listening, we love to hear from you guys. We would do this if no one was listening, but knowing that, you know, someone out there in different parts of the world is listening, empathizing, has some thoughts. We want to hear from everybody. So we'll give you the info to get in touch with us at the end of the show. But for now, one of the questions that came in, here it is. Being on two different coasts, it's interesting the similarities and differences you and Dave encounter with gigs and bookings. Do either of you guys notice the influx of musicians, baby boomers, or maybe retirees or soon to be that, that are used to, that used to once upon a time play in a garage band or once in a blue moon, they used to get out and play with some friends and now want to get out there in full force since they're about to retire and their professional career is over. Do you notice it? And does it affect your gigs, your bookings at all? I like, I like this because this is in the heart of the world that I live in. Right. And, and I would say, Heck yeah. You know, we're, I see that you see this all the time. And, you know, my, my first thought is as long as they're trying to hold the value for the rest of the musical community, that's cool. You know, go, go do what you can. You could make the arguments about, you know, have you earned your place and have you paid your dues and all those types of things. But, you know, that's in kind of anything. If, you know, someone has a connection, they go to the front of the line. That's life. Yeah. So that's totally how yeah, it goes. Yep. That is how it goes. And again, you know, it is a concern unique in the music industry that the qualitative ability to, to evaluate good versus mediocre is all over the place. And so that's, what's hard is that it, you know, I think I, I would assume again, Dave, I always bounce this to you because you know, you lived around Austin and you saw what the music scene in Austin was where I would think that the gene pool there and the competition there just makes the water, you know, rise for the good guys. And it's, you know, a different scene for the, for the, amateurs i would assume nashville similar similar new york would probably be similar but yeah i you know i noticed that there is a constant influx of people who want to get back into it um i have my own thoughts about you know the process of cutting in line and taking a you know a good date at a good at a good bar or a good club you know despite not having paid your dues and you know done the things that other bands have done to work their way up and then not being that good when you get that gig and that it makes the overall scene a little bit watered down but i think you know the most important thing to me is is the you know those guys who are in the semi retired state i'll do it for free i i find that pretty heinous yeah yeah well and and to add insult to to injury here oftentimes the people in charge of selecting and hiring and booking bands don't necessarily value the quality of the music as the most important factor. I, I don't want to necessarily say that they, they don't even know what good quality music, what the difference is between, you know, bad and good music, but that's also true some of the time, but even people that do know the difference, a lot of times that's just not the most important thing to them. It's how many people are you going to draw and how much do they drink? Right. If it's, yeah. a, if it's a bar. So, you know, they're, they're the whole system of playing in bars is non optimal. If you approach it from, I'm going to be the best musician I can be and put the best 
the best band together. It's like, well, that's good. But then you have to you, like, that's not enough. You have to go further than that. And sometimes you'll get somebody like Rob describes you know, perhaps spent a career in marketing. And even though, you know, he or she wasn't, you know, spending all the time playing their bass, they're good enough on bass to go and fake it and understands marketing well enough, better than you perhaps, and is going to go and get those gigs. And their band is going to be popular despite the fact that you sit there and they're like, how does that band get those gigs? They're we're way better than them. Well, well, let let me, let me extract on that. So one is this is not only a, a club and bar scenario phenomenon. This, this definitely extends to a lot of private events where there is money to be made. And, you know, it's like, Hey, my brother has a bar, has a band and, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it's done. So, you know, that, that is, that is unfortunate. Um, you know, even with the guys who are good marketers and that's a really interesting angle that you bring this up is like, someone has the chops to understand that this is a business equation, not just a creative equation that that definitely needs to be held up. However, my, my experience is those guys are usually good for one or two gigs, rarely more than that. Mm. And so, and so again, you know, the band is, the band will get the third and fourth gig and then Peter out and tank out because you can only ask your wife to come so many times. And so the, the bands, even with the ex marketing executives, or professionals who are, who are in the band that really invest the time and, and expertise to develop a following. And then, you know, the following is an interesting thing because like, I know a band that plays in this area, the wife gets on, on, they only play, you know, three, four times a year. The wives get on Facebook, they get everyone, their school kids, friends, and three or four times a year, they're pretty successful. Right. 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 But I've also seen the fifth time a year, it'd be not, like dramatically different, right? It'd be like, you know, once it's an inconvenient time and the kids are busy and, you know, or we just saw them three months ago or whatever it might be that there is a a, a drop off. And so that's the thing is, you know, as musicians, I think we need to constantly educate our clients, you know, whoever they may be about how professionally we run our enterprise our organizations you know that's interesting how 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 vibrant is your social media right and and whatever social media you want twitter instagram facebook whatever it is how vibrant is it how much you investing in this and and don't don't forget your email list on that list yeah absolutely that's social media media too it's big it's perhaps the most effective social media for marketing a band specifically i think i agree yeah i agree so everything else gets to be noise to some degree exactly (laughs) yeah yeah, emails noise too. Don't, don't get me wrong, yeah. but yeah. So, you know, more people playing music. Good. Um, it's unfortunately not like it was seventies where many places were open seven days a week and they had, you know, the up and coming bands could, you know, test their metal on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then the headlining bands played the weekend gigs. It, the drink, that doesn't exist as much. Raised, right. I mean, yeah. I think that's a big factor in that. And yeah. smoking is gone and smoking is gone. Although, Bars in areas that every area where, you know, I mean, it's most places now, but as each area has gone from smoking to non-smoking, there's a two week dip uh, almost consistently across the board, two week dip in attendance. And then it's right back to where it was before. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. My point being mostly right. is that there's very few seven day a week live music venues totally. in most towns. I, you know, again, Austin, I would imagine there probably still are. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly busier Thursday through Saturday, but, um, but yeah, 
Yeah, you can find live but, music. But the, the, the new bands, yes. had, had, you know, most venues know, all right, cut your teeth here. Let's see what you're about. And are evaluating, hopefully, the whole holistic opportunity. Not yep. only can they play, but, you know, what do they look like? Can they perform? Do they bring in anybody? You know, is, is, does it work on all cylinders? So that's kind of my thoughts about this. It's like, yes, there's always, you know, influx of people. And it seems, you know, that classic rock still is as, as popular as ever. And, you know, a lot of people get kind of set in their career or towards the twilight of their career and they want to go back and do what they love, which I think is a great thing. I just, you know, would encourage, you know, understand you're, you're wading into an area where there's no bar to entry. And if you're going to do that, you wait in and, you know, tip your hat to the people who, you know, do it to put food on their table. And at the very least, you know, understand what the wage scale is. And, you know, if you're going to be that guy who you're going to compete on price and you're going to give stuff away, just to satisfy your yayas, there's kind of a connected implication to this, you know, and the other side of it is if musical communities are strong, you know, I think the rising tide lifts all boats and, you know, everybody can be better off for it. You agree with that? I totally do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I like this concept of intentionally communicating your professionalism, right? I mean, that's, that's Mm. sort of what we're talking about here is making sure they know. And, and like you said, holistically it professional when you're playing, but also professional when you're not playing, when you're promoting yourself, when you're just, when you're conducting yourself, right? That, that whole thing. And, and this goes back to the, you know, you used to drop off a demo packet and, and promo flyers and all that. That's changed a little bit now, but it's still the same kind of thing. You know, you can throw somebody, uh, uh, you know, five links to five different YouTube clips or Facebook clips that people took of your band, or you can take those clips and assemble them together, blend them a little bit, put a little, you know, uh, a banner on the front of them where it's like, Hey, here's the house rockers, here's fling or whatever, segue the songs into each other. And even though it's just videos from people's phones, it looks way better than just watching videos from people's phones. Communicates professionalism. It's the same thing. You just put a little time and care into it. Yeah. Absolutely. It has been a lesson for me. Half the guys in my band are full-time musicians. They pretty much teach in one form or another, either going out to people's houses or people come to them or they have a studio somewhere. One guy, um, uh, one of my horns, uh, manages uh, a marching band program. So wow. he's hired by the parents, you know, to yeah. get this, this marching band, you know, competitive. And, you know, it has been such a life lesson to me to watch these guys. They work damn hard. A hundred bucks a night gig is actually a meaningful thing to them because five nights a week, that is 500 bucks. Four weeks a month is, is 2000 bucks. 12 months of the year is $24,000 of their income. Yep. It is, you know, it is, it is part of what they do and they work their butt off for that hundred bucks. And if you, you don't even want to think about what it comes out to an hour and the way that you talk to, you know, when you have a conversation with someone who is a full-time musician, they take themselves very seriously. They still practice, you know, they wake up and they still, you know, run the rudiments and you know run scales and they, you know, they still yep. do things that are essential. They keep their chops up. They're ready to take advantage of all opportunities. Um, they are very serious that this is my gig. This is, this is what I do for a living. And it's not, it's, it's, it's very different from the guy who's like, Hey, hire my band. We're awesome. You know, we just got together and uh, we're sounding great, which maybe they are. But what I'm saying is, is that, like in any profession, being a professional is a thing, you know, and it, it deserves respect because it's damn hard work. I mean, it is yeah. it is a commitment. It is a sacrifice. I mean, more than anything, it's a sacrifice. And to all these guys credit, 
I don't know anybody who is a full-time musician that regrets it. it. Most of them, what like the guys who I talk to in my group, they just say, I, you know, it was never a choice for me. This is what I was, this is what I was, you know, here, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. And you know, there, that amount of passion, commitment, sacrifice deserves a lot, a lot, a lot of respect. And so we should all respect that no matter what level you're coming into the game, you should all respect, you know, what, what true professionalism in, in any craft. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but, um, you need to understand and expect that you will be competing against people that don't care. About oh, they do that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it's, like, it's part of the game. It's just part of the they game. Shake That's their head. Yep. They shake yep. their head and they say it's just kind of ridiculous, but it's not going to make them lower their bar. And that's where, you know, right. a lot of my respect comes from is Absolutely. they're like, nope, you know, you know, like the, most of the horn guys, you know, they'll look at like Miles Davis and the sacrifice that Miles Davis made to become Miles Davis. And that's that's the model that they have for excellence in their craft. Right now, again, there, there's a lot of side stories around that analogy and comparison. Of course, but my point really is it's not like. They didn't put their instrument down for 20 years and, and make that sacrifice. And whatever they're playing right now, they've earned, you know, through a lot of mechanisms, you know, chops, contacts, you know, performing, you know, whatever it may be, they've earned those gigs. And yep. it is a real thing. So, like I said, yes, people come at all different levels and you come in. The guys who come in after not having touched their instrument for 20 years and say, Hey, I'm going to get this going. And I got contacts. We'll be on stage in a month. And they're on with a bunch of other, you know, part-timers. Um, yeah, be good, but you know, don't dilute the pool, right? Don't, don't cheapen the experience of the music consumer of the, of the talent buyer of, of the, you know, the, the entertainment goer, you know, be cognizant that that's what's at stake here. Be, you know, hold your head up and, you know, be a part of that solution, not, not create new problems. Uh, yeah. I, oh, I, like I said, I'm totally with you. I just like there, there is a group of people that don't listen to shows like this, right? Don't care about that message. And we have to, we have to know that we're, we're going to go be going up against them. So I like it, there's the things you do so you can sleep at night. And that's what we're talking about here. Right. Yeah, is, that, is, that's a good way to put it. Right? We had a discussion months ago where I called someone out who I knew anonymously yeah. on the show. He was not happy with me. He came back to me and he was like, well, listen, I play for fun and I'm entitled to play for fun. And sure. you know what, you know, if, if I take a gig for no money that I'm not in it for the money. And you know, that, that was his point. He was, he was fully grounded in that. But you know what? I can have, I can just share my position the same as he can share his position. And totally. if what I'm saying resonates with anybody else that's listening to this, that's a good thing. You know, this is the conversation, right? Again, you're not, you're not going to get in a fist fight over this, hopefully. hopefully. I mean, but you know, if you want to understand how an opinion is formed, this is the logic that I'm offering behind it. And it seems like you're mostly along with me for the large part. Is again, oh, I'm definitely. You with know, you. all you can do is oh, talk yeah. to people and, and explain yeah. to people, you know, why you feel a certain way, and you know, hopefully, it's a civil discourse, and and you know, that's what it's about. And you know, like I said, I I I told the guy, you know, you take a gig for nothing, and you're undercutting with everybody. Why should someone pay the next person? Right. He said, not my problem. And I said, that's everybody's problem. It, it is everybody's problem. That's correct. That's but, you know, I, I guess I, maybe maybe this is just me being jaded and having dealt with it enough. Like that's how the world works. Right. So I, tr I try not to I try not to spend a lot of energy 
working to convince people that are that I don't think are ever going to to change their thinking to that way. And I just do I I I follow my own advice or my own preferences on this, right? Which is, you know, exactly what you're saying here. Uh, because because it lets me sleep at night. It's like, yep, I I went out, I put on a good show, I didn't undercharge. I know the next band that's coming in is going to be able to, you know, pay their bills uh and they're not going to hire me because I'm cheaper than that. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, I do it for me. I, I mean, I do it for the 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 common good, but I also know that there's somebody out there that doesn't even factor that in. I, I don't want to say they don't care about it, but but that's probably another accurate way of saying it. Yeah, there's definitely people listening to the show who are like, screw these guys. Yep. You know, I, I sleep fine at night. <laughs> you know, their fists. I'm yeah. out, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's part of the world. But yeah. the music industry is an interesting one in that the bars to entry are different than, you know, you, like you wouldn't do that with a plumber or an electrician or an automobile or, you know, anything like that. But music is this very subjective thing. And, you know, the idea that you have to, I don't know. Sell. I think you would do that with a plumber. I think I think people hire based on advertising and and perceived professionalism as opposed to actual talent. Uh, right. I want I, the best plumber I have because I know it'll be really same, expensive if I don't get the best plumber. Exactly. Same. And oftentimes the best plumber is not the most expensive guy. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like if you have the wrong one, then that's when it gets expensive. Right. But yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah. Oh, I'm I'm with you. But, you know, like if you don't know which plumber to hire, you know, and you're just going on, well, who advertised and who did this? It's like, yeah, OK, fine. I'll just go with the, the name that I know, even though there's no good reason to trust them. So but I don't know. Yeah, but, and again, I, I just want to temper this a little bit. It isn't about being confrontational in every financial negotiation. It's always just trying to get the best deal that can be had. Yeah. You know, I think that skill is what the noble pursuit is when you're a musician, right? Yeah. You know, it's it it's like, you know, can you do a little bit more is is the starter level for those conversations. Well, or, it, you know, and then more advanced is, hey, we've been doing pretty good here. You know, it seems like the bar is pretty full. Are you know, we're we're gonna keep pushing this. Are you are you open to negotiating a part of the bar take? You know, might be a, might be the intermediate level of this discussion, right? So, sure. again, uh, it's it's a willingness to fight the good fight that says music is, has value. Uh, me as a musician uh, has invested a lot to get to the point where I'm worthy of being on your stage and entertaining your customers. There's value there. You know, let's talk value for value. That that's kind of where my head is. Yep. I'm with you. I'm I'm, right. I'm totally with you. It's it's um, yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting thing, um, and it's frustrating, right? I mean, I you know, and I can hear the frustration when you're when you're kind of <laughs> laying this down here. Well, because you have to deal with it. I I I guess the way so you and I deal with this a little bit differently, right? You um, you're the one that books your band, and so you're on the front lines of this, and. As I've said many times, I have mad respect for you and everyone who does that job because I've done that job. And a long time ago, I decided, yeah, I'd really rather somebody else do that job, you know, <laughs> because of this. Right. It's this this disastrous kind of process that is, you know, it's just a mess. And and you're selling what the worst part is. At times, you're put in a position where you're forced to sell something different than what you know you're actually going to deliver. Not that you're going to short sell somebody, but you're highlighting 
you, you know, uh, how many people and how much beer you're going to sell when what you really care about is putting on a freaking great rock yep. show with your band. Yeah. Right. And it kind of sucks that you have to, you know, stand in both of those, you know, arenas at the same time, but you do, that's how this is done. And, um, and that's frustrating. And that's actually why I find that that fall off happens because right. I know for me, I, I, I know it's necessary for me to do what I do, but I really, as long as I've been playing music, I want, I wanted music to be the opposite of my day job life. I didn't want to have to, but, but you know, but it's not. I realized it had to be done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's a big part of it. And that's actually why those retired, semi-retired marketing executives, that's why you find the fall off is because the reason they don't want to do the marketing anymore yeah, <laughs> is yeah, often, yeah. you know, they've oh, kind of gotten to their true. sunset on that. Right. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, it is not fun to do this. It's way more fun to practice your guitar than it is to build a mail list. Yep. And, you know, so, so that's why, you know, even, even that influx of day job professionals that have come into the music world in every community all the time, it, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be any better. I mean, I, I've known guys who, again, once, once the light bulb goes on, that this is their path to, you know, feed themselves and get buy insurance and pay their rent and all that type of stuff. You see guys, you know, licking envelopes and, and putting up posters and doing whatever it takes. That hunger drives a lot of success. You don't always get that hunger. I mean, it's not impossible, but you don't always get that hunger from the guy who's just recently, you know, stepped out of a day job, especially if that was a day job with a lot of pressure and a lot of, you know, a lot of demands. Yeah. You don't want to step right back into that, right? Right. <laughs> well, at least so maybe not. The playing yeah. field is more even than we would think. Yep. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There there are there are natural uh, obstacles. E- equalizers. I like that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because you've got to be you've got to be willing to really do it and commit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, that's so, the demise of most bands right there is, is when you get sick and tired of the grind. Mm, of course, that's the true. demise of most businesses too. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Rock band, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like that's, you gotta, you know, hard work. It's always, it's always hard work. It doesn't mean that you need to work 22 hours a day, but you have to work hard when you're working. And that's just right. how it is. Otherwise, otherwise that shines through eventually. Like you said, you get the first couple, three gigs and then, oh, this band's kind of lazy. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. I'm not. Why am I working anymore. this hard? I'm Why? not taking any extra for this. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Or, or the amount I'm taking extra for this isn't near the amount of hours I'm putting into this. Correct. And, yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot that goes into that. So, yep. yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, if, if any part of what Rob asked in the question was, should he be discouraged that these you know, semi-professionals are coming in with resources or, you know, an untapped fan base of wives and girlfriends that haven't seen them play. You know, I still think, I still think the hardest worker wins at the end of the day, not the best musician, the hardest worker. Yes. I agree with you. I agree. That's, that's just how it is, but you know, it's just life. It's just life. Yes. That's it. All right. Well, that, uh, I got to go to a Tommy rehearsal, man, because it's time, <laughs> nice. it's time to go in the closet and solve math problems. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun stuff. Cool, cool, man. All right. Good chat. This was a good chat. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Rob, thank you for your question. Thanks, everybody, for all your comments and questions. As, as Paul said, we were going to tell you how to do that. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com is the way you get in touch with us. Or you can join our Facebook group at Facebook. Well, it's easier this way. Go to giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook. 
that'll redirect you to the group and that'll get you there. So we're very happy to be able to do this every week. Thank you, folks. Thanks to our sponsor, Thank Simple you. Contacts. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Good talking, Dave. Good talking, Hey, man, Dave. I got a tip for you. Yeah, man. Always, Always be performing. Even when I'm in the closet solving math, math problems. There you go. Good All week. right. Take it easy, folks. We'll see you next week. <laughs>